and welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today we have a very exciting conversation with Bridget Timmerman. Bridget is a director. She also is the president of the Nebraska Film Association. I first met her when I think we were editing Adaptations. That was about three years ago. And she was still talking about the project that she's here to talk about today. So she was currently, she was at the time, I think, figuring out what to do with her footage or figuring out how to assemble it all. And it ended up being a very long process to make something that's been an incredibly successful product, which is called The Omaha Speaking. It's a documentary about the Omaha tribe and specifically the fading Omaha language. So it's about one hour long, and it is an informative, engaging documentary that's really making a big splash. It's winning all kinds of awards. It's making the festival circuit right now. It's about to premiere at the Omaha Film Festival. There's also going to be uh, upcoming local screenings at Film Streams, and I believe at UNO. She said she's working on those. So there's a lot of reasons to see this, because we live in Omaha. We like to do things local, right? That's you know that's becoming a sort of a, a staple of the current uh, culture, and we like this idea. It's like okay, we're going to buy local things. We're going to try to you know don't go to the chain, go to the local place. But as people of Omaha who are proud of being Omahans. We don't really know anything about the Omaha tribe, and we don't really try to know anything about the Omaha tribe. And that's not right. That doesn't make any sense. It's one of those things you might not even realize how little sense it makes until you really think about it. And then once you do think about it, you think, how have I got my whole life uh, and never really done anything to try to learn about the Omaha tribe, to be connected with the Omaha tribe, to buy things from the Omaha tribe if I'm so interested in buying Omaha products? And so Bridget Timmerman has sort of gone through this a lot faster than a lot of other people and so she's bringing that attention to the Omaha tribe to the actual culture of the tribe itself and this is a great way to start that journey of really being connected to Omaha in ways beyond just urban life and I'm very excited about that and I'm very proud of this conversation so please check out her movie and please enjoy my conversation with Bridget Timmerman about her new documentary The Omaha Speed. All right, so Bridget, you and I had lunch, I don't know, it was like three years ago, and you were talking about making this movie. I don't know what the stage of it was, but first off, how long have you been working on the Omaha Speaking? It's been three years since uh, October 2015. Okay, so a long time. And I, documentaries are different. Like, I've made some features, and we make them usually on like a way too fast schedule. Documentaries, it seems like it's easier to sort of take your time with it because you're not necessarily stuck filming it all in a month or something like that, unless you have financial reasons why you might do so. So like, what was the timeline of coming up with the project, getting to the point of even starting to work on it, and then uh, getting to where it is now? So this was in September 2015, and uh, my friend John Papan, who is um, Omaha, he kept bugging me about a project. And, I was working on something on Pine Ridge, the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, and I said I'm just really burned out. And I actually grew up, uh, my father's a rancher, that part of it, the ranch is tribal land. So I'm very familiar with Native Americans and um, you know how culturally sensitive they are. And um, so he said, I have something for you, and, and just, hear me out, and he's, he said, you know, we're in a crisis, um, my father is, is one of the remain, last remaining fluent speakers of the Amman tribe, and we need to have these people documented before they're gone, and would you do it? And I just said, well, how can I say no to that? 
So we, within October, we started. We planned. I started planning it, um, starting uh, inter getting some interviews set up. Uh, there's a very sad story with the first one that I was going to set up. Uh, she agreed, and then she passed away uh, a week before we were going to do the, the interview. Um, and so it took 18 months to get everybody because they don't just say, well, sure, we'd love to interview with you. I mean, they, don't, they didn't know me. Uh, they had to know that I was serious and my intentions were, were uh, valid, I mean, that were real. Uh, that I had good intentions and that I wasn't going to just come in, film them, and then leave. And I heard that a lot. Uh, and there was As in, like, film and then never do anything with the footage or, like, well, not develop a relationship? Well, to come in and film it, they do the project, and then you never hear from the filmmaker ever again. And I've heard that from a couple, more than a few people, that they say they come in, they film, and then they leave. And we never hear from them again. We never know what the project is. We never know where, where it's been, you know, screened or anything. And... Uh, also, there was some uh, reservations because I had one gentleman who was a roadman. Uh, he would not, he, he was the last person to interview with me, and he said, I'm not, I didn't want to interview with you because the last time I interviewed, uh, it was a, uh, it was a local news channel. I did a prayer, I told him to shut the cameras off, and not only did they film the prayer, they showed it on the 6 o'clock news. So that's what I had to deal with, is, is a lot of distrust. And, and like I said, they wanted to make sure that I was coming in um, respectfully and to making sure that the, their culture was shown respectfully. Right. And I think it speaks to the fact that, like, we... But people who live in Omaha have lived in Omaha their whole lives. I mean, like Ben and I, for example, are people who cherish the idea of like, let's bring an Omaha culture, let's bring attention to Omaha culture. But like, it rarely does it ever come up that we even think about the Omaha tribe or try to make that connection. And it's like, I feel like uh, even just thinking about talking to you about it, it just, it occurs to me how it's ridiculous that we really don't know anything. We don't have, like our education doesn't really do anything to try to involve the Omaha tribe, even though... Like, obviously, the name of our city is from it. We say it almost every day. But that connection is something that you really have to have an effort to, first of all, try to have a connection to know about it, but then for you to also be literally involved with the Omaha tribe and then to learn how to be respectful about it. It's just like, it seems so disconnected from all of us, and I don't know why that is. I mean, you had, I mean, were you, did you, were you, like, you were exposed, was it the Omaha tribe that, like, when you were growing up, the reservation or the land that you, uh, the land that your dad had, was that the Omaha tribe land, or was uh, that? No, that was Olala Lakota, okay. and they're even more, like, they'll keep you at arm distance. Um, a lot of it is, well, very, for the first is that they felt that their land was taken away, they were forced on reservations, and then um, until 1978, a lot of kids were taken from their families and put into boarding schools, and their language was taken away that way, and their culture. So. I can see their distrust. I can see how people want to come in and exploit. I hate to use the word exploit, but they want to come in and, and as like more of a voyeuristic. Um, that's what they were concerned of too, that we were maybe talk about the poverty, the alcoholism, and the, and the drug, you know, all of the, 
all of the bad that is on the reservation. And I assured them, and with the elders, when I talked to them, I said, we need to do something that is going to rise, make the kids rise up and proud of who they are. So none of that will be shown. Um, it's all going to be about being proud of who they are, and that's their culture and their language. Well, I think, especially whether you're just in Nebraska or Omaha, I mean, we need to have those kinds of examples and exposure to the Omaha tribe in general, because, I mean, really, in my life, I don't know if there's really been anything. When it's Nebraska history, it's like, you know, you learn a little bit about the foundation of the state, maybe read a Willa Captor book, but mm -hmm. nothing really about indigenous history at all. Uh, and it seems like we need that because, I mean, they've got distrust, but I mean, like a lot of people just are completely oblivious to the fact that there's even Native Americans in Nebraska. And that's just, it's, so, I mean, you had the opportunity to at least start to become aware of Native, you know, culture or just, you know, maybe know some of those people when you were younger. And so you get to the point where it's like, you probably knew how to approach the situation in a way that most people don't. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you also had some kind of, oh, we have someone trying to get in. Is the door locked? Ben, can you, can you open the door? Okay. I don't want anyone who wants to be here not be able to get in. Okay, welcome. Okay, so, so I mean, you kind of knew maybe how to approach it, but you also seemed like you must have some kind of documentary filmmaking or filmmaking experience for them to ask you to be the one to document uh, the Omaha tribe, right? So maybe we take a step back. How did you get to the point where you wanted to be involved in film in general? I, um, I was living in Chicago, I was in Chicago from 99 to 2012, and I always wanted, I was in marketing and advertising for years, and I always wanted to get into something creative, uh, but it never, obviously never paid the bills, it very rarely does, uh, but so what an awesome coincidence that the Chicago Filmmakers Co-op is like, 10 blocks from my condo in Chicago, in uh, Andersonville. And I was, I had no idea it existed because it was a very, it, no advertising or anything, and I knew exactly where the, where the building was, where I go work out, and I'd stumbled across it. So I started taking classes there. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people were professionals that wanted to get into a creative field. So I was so fortunate to have my first class, my first documentary, uh, class was uh, Bill Siegel was my instructor who was up for an Academy Award for the Weather Underground and he won an Emmy for the trials of Muhammad Ali and they really really go deep into your subjects and then I started going into documentary labs and you even go deeper and those labs are incredibly intensive so that was a great training ground um, for this particular documentary because you learn what to you know, B-roll and all of that is important, but it's really what to kind of draw out um, uh, the little things that are really important that may not seem so important in a in a film, and um, it's more of a character that you have to you have to start developing characters. It's almost like a screenplay. You do have to to look at your footage and develop a character and how you're going to build the story. So uh, I was fortunate to have a lot of. Uh, I had almost all of the Native American speakers um, in my film, which I was so lucky. Um, and unfortunately, uh, five have passed since I started. Well, so you get to the point where you want to make documentaries. And so like, what, how do you, I mean, you say it's like a screenplay, and definitely it is because 
it's probably seems counterintuitive, but like, you know, for me, I sit down, I've got a blank page, I can kind of do anything with it. Like, I feel like there are limited narrative choices in general. Uh, with a documentary, though, it seems like you have so many different sorts of options because you're not forced to, the narrative options and the structure that's sort of expected by the audience is, it can vary drastically with a documentary in the way that like a normal narrative feature, really, they're kind of expecting the same sort of like three acts. Documentary, how do you even figure out how to tell a story with a documentary and make it structured in a way that makes any sense? Well, first was getting the interviews. I mean, that was that was number one. I actually had a phenomenal, uh, I had a phenomenal editor, uh, Scott Conrad, who uh, won the Academy Award for Rocky. And he took my project on, which I was totally blown away that he would take this project. Um, he taught me a lot about pulling out what's the most important that is going to be more poignant for an audience. But it's really, you don't really build the story until you get to the editing. And that's where you're looking at the footage over and over again. And as you're building a story, like you have to go with the history and you have to start with certain subject matter and then it builds to where it is today. So we went from why it's important and they are losing, not, they're, they're, gaining it back, but it is in somewhat of a crisis because these fluent speakers are disappearing. And then we get into why, why did that happen? And because they were forced into boarding schools and their language um, was not spoken and their culture was not allowed in boarding schools. And then we get to, well, what is the, what is the community doing to save this? So we have some phenomenal educators really really people I admire that are on the um, on the Omaha reservation from Head Start to uh, Omaha Nation School and to um, from uh, uh, Nebraska Indian Community College and then you know at the end it's like where is it headed and what's the message because you want to leave them like what can we do to to preserve this and keep this going and in between that, you're learning a lot about Omaha culture. So you're going to learn so much about Omaha. The Omaha, like you, you, you there's a clanship, um, how they revere the earth and the sky and, and plants. And, and it's really, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. This culture is incredibly rich. I'm definitely going to ask you more specific questions about that. But before we move on to that, how do you, how do you go from having this idea to do this documentary to getting the editor of Rocky involved? Um, well, first thing is getting, like I said, developing that relationship and not pushing, um, uh, constantly showing up. And then I got very, I became very close with the uh, Mitchell family. And then a lot of it was because of Octocane and the Mitchell sisters that got me into these interviews. But they had to trust me first. And if they trusted me, then they started to trust. So then, I, I held on to my footage for a little while and I was really stressed out because I, I was telling, talking to a friend of mine who's a filmmaker from Telluride who has had films in Sundance and he's very talented and I said, I, I cannot find the right editor. Um, I need maturity, I need storytelling and I'm really, I'll sit on this footage forever until I find the right person. And he said, well, my the editor I used was great and he did his film called um, American Outrage. It's about two Shoshone women that um, are fighting with the Bureau of Land Management. And it's a very interesting story. 
And I said, oh, who is he? He's like, oh, his name's Scott. He edited Rocky. He won an Academy Award. I said, well, he's not going to take my film. Are you kidding me? And uh, so he said, well, he's really, he really wants to help Native Americans. He's very interested in Native Americans. And he, you know, he can pick any project he wants now. He's that far in his career that he might pick your project. So I called him and he said, oh, I remember George telling me about you. And so this That's, was going so on for like a week. We you just, just got his number? Him. You just like called? He gave me his number. He's okay. like, tell him I'm going to call. I'm like, okay. <laughs> he remember, George remembers his number. He's like, here, write this. Because George is in like his 70s. Like, write this down. And, and Scott's in his 70s. And so I just called them. I'm like, who called me? Nobody. They email. Uh, so anyway, this was, I don't know, like a few, probably like a week, we just went back and forth, and I sent him footage, and he kept asking questions. And it's almost like you were interviewing to get him. I was interviewing to, so then he'd take my project. And he said, yeah, this is, I think it's a great project. Let's, let's do it. I'm like, he wasn't too stuck, uh, you know, doing the Creed movies now? He, no. Okay. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, so, okay, so, in between all that, so you'd finished filming everything by the time you got him involved? Uh, most of it, but then he's where a great editor comes in, they're going to tell you what you need, and you mm -hmm. listen. If they're really good, you listen to them. And, uh, you know, there's some things I fought for, but I know, I, I'm not going to put my ego aside, and, and but there's, Culturally, me and the ladies knew that we had to take a lot out or add a lot in, but story structure-wise, he was brilliant at that. And he said, you need, I need this type of footage, I need this, so I had to go back and reshoot stuff, which I was fine with. I was totally fine with. Um, and luckily, you, I mean, you were in a position where you could go back and get more footage. Yes, yes. And it just, it worked out great, I mean, um, He's gonna, I'm gonna see him in Oklahoma City in a couple months or six weeks for the Western Heritage Awards. And he's married to John Wayne's daughter too. Oh wow. Which is pretty cool. So John Wayne's from uh, Iowa, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's a local connection too. Yeah, he's in, yeah, that's why they said I, he, my friend George thought he would, we would get along. Because he's, <laughs> he said, well, he goes to, um, what is the town? Uh, it's a little town in Iowa. Yeah, it's pretty close to Des Moines, isn't it? I mean, yeah. It's on the way. It's only like a couple hours from here. I've, you know, I've driven kids to debate tournaments before, and then uh, like we're driving. But is, what is it? Winterset. Winterset? Okay. Where Bridges of Madison County was filmed. Yes, that's right. And so I know like, I'm driving in this van of kids, and I see the sign, and I say, oh, look, John Wayne's birthplace. And they're just like, who's John Wayne? <laughs> uh, you know, it's the, the disconnect is growing or getting old. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, okay, so back to what we're saying. So you get basically, you kind of, you understand the gravity of the project. And so you're setting out to actually start to do the interviews, to get footage, rethinking structure in general, other than just, okay, if I have interviews with all the people, I can probably get the gist of the information that I need, but maybe not worried so much about what it's going to look like as a finished product, or what's your mindset as you're assembling footage? Um, the mindset was, well, the trick is not to ask too many questions, not to be really invasive. So I went through with the elders, I said, what do you think about these questions? And I'm going to ask these same type of questions on inter every interview, so when we go into the editing, we can build, you know, we can build a story from it. And then it came with the, with the educators, uh, that was the same thing, we, we formed some questions for educators. Then there was something missing. We're like, how are we going to tie that culture together that the elders couldn't really explain? Uh, they know it, but they 
they really never explained it in their interviews, so I was very lucky to get a man by the name of Tim Brand, who's a drum keeper of the Omaha tribe, that tied that in, and then this Taylor Keene, who is one of the elders' mothers, who is a professor in Creighton, he tied that in as well. So you, you need these missing parts that are gonna tie, tie a story together. Like screenwriting, you can write something in, with a documentary, you have to find that missing piece. And that's what happened is like, at the very end, I was, I said, well, we need to find somebody to tie this, these, this story together and to tie that culture in the culture, because that's the most important part. And what ends up is you're talking to somebody outside of the council building or the tribal building, and I'm talking to Tim Grant for, I don't know, like 45 minutes asking him, well, you know, a lot of questions about the culture and how would I tie this in the film. And then I said, you know, do you mind if I interview you? And he said, well, I'm not really a good interviewer. He, he's a fantastic interviewer. And <laughs> so he really, and Taylor King, the same way, they really helped tie, tie the film together. Uh, that bridge from the elders to educators to the, to the culture. Had you had a lot of experience doing interviews at that point? Not really, no. So you're kind of going in like, well, I'll figure it out. No, well, actually, no, I'm sorry, I did, I did. I actually interviewed uh, refugees uh, for uh, Iraqi refugees, and then I also did a lot of interviews um, on Pine Ridge. Okay. But I felt like this was a different area because this is going really into the culture and these elders and a lot of people that, you know, they're not going to meet with you right away. So. Um, also, when it comes to like a narrative, you want to film like their lifestyle, you want to film like to give a, a film space and room for it to breathe, you want to go into their, you know, their day to day. Well, they weren't letting me film day to day with them. It was all just talking head interviews. So we had to go into the files of uh, Nebraska Historical Society and footage, some archival footage. So. That's what tied it. So it's like you only have certain parameters that they're willing to do. And if I would have stepped out of that instinctively, I, I know they would have shut down. They don't say no, they just shut you off, like politely. You know, do right. this. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, okay, so had you had exposure with the Omaha tribe before you started working on the project, or were you figuring out as you went? I figured out as I went. I knew John Papan, and I said, you know, I can't believe I don't. I know very little about the Omaha tribe. I know a few people from the tribe, but I said, you know, that's sad. That's just sad. We should. People need to know about the Omaha tribe. And I've never even been up. And I've been to Pine Ridge and Rosebud and several other reservations. I said, I can't believe it's only seventy miles north, and I've never been there. So, yeah, I mean, I think most people don't even know where to go. Yeah, it's seventy on seventy-five north past Blair. And by Decatur, right? Ten miles north of Decatur. And so, okay, so you start, I'm sure just you call, or like how do you even find the people to talk to for? I mean, did the person know who, did you have the contacts figured out ahead of time? Um, well, yeah, it started off with uh, John Pan, and then he introduced me to the Mitchell sisters. I was at Haluska, which is the Omaha dance, and I met some Omaha there, and I told them about this project, what I'd like to do. And the sisters, the Mitchell, the three Mitchell sisters that are on the, the poster, they were all for it because they're very well educated and they were like, we need, people need to know about our culture and they need to know how important it is to preserve it. They were all for it. But 
it was getting into the other interviews, even though that they they were very comfortable um, uh, vouching for me, they still was there still was that distrust. So you had to. I went to a lot of events, a lot. And I really enjoy it. I mean, a lot of events, a lot of powwows, a lot of. Um, uh, I went to a lot of funerals too, because people that I've met through the through the process have passed away. Um, so now they all know me. It's it's you know they just they all know who I am now. So. <laughs> Well, so, okay, so you've got to, you know, be a part of the culture a little bit, be sort of, you know, accepted by the community. And so you're starting to sort of make connections, and then just you're continuing to film as much as they'll sort of let you, and then hopefully the boundaries sort of, you can have, you know, maybe a little bit more leeway with some things as things go on. Um, well, and so to, to be a part of that and to film that, and then to make those connections, I'm curious, like, how much is sort of, like, what, what do you have to do to gain the trust and not feel like you're either sort of like appropriating things or feel like you're, I mean, I, I know you, obviously you weren't trying to exploit it and you made those connections, but like if someone is really distrustful to you, what, what are your strategies to try to, you know, just assure them, here's, here's what I'm actually trying to do. I've had that. Yeah, yeah I've had it. Uh, you can't, I, I've learned you cannot change people's minds. You cannot tell them, but you can show them. So there were, interesting enough, there were a few people that were pretty distrustful of me. Um, I didn't take it personally. Um, I did do a private showing for the tribe, and I was, I was kind of nervous when I saw a couple of them in the crowd, and, and I'm like, well, I hope they like the film. And they came up, and they're like, really, one of them, I was shocked. She came up, she just said, you know, I, uh, I'm really sorry if I was rude to you. Uh, we were just being very protective of our people. I'm like, oh no, I totally understand. And, and she said, I love the film. And I'm like, really? Thank <laughs> you. And there was a couple other people that say they from the tribe that love the film. So to me, you know, you could get any film critic, and they could rip the film apart. And I, I really, I don't care. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, I have to say that like the most compliment I can get is from the tribe itself and from native from the native community because you know you did it right um, that's that's the as high as I'll go for for something right. and if uh, the general public likes it and they, you know film festivals like it that's even better but it's for their education it's it's for educating right and so okay so how many people were speaking the Omaha language when you were starting to work on um, they thought, they thought it was probably about 12 to 15. There's no, you know, there's no uh, census on it. Um, there's some people that they think are talking, speaking Omaha, but they're not, they don't want to come forward. Um, there were five that passed, so now we have about, oh gosh, we have about nine. Okay, it, it, it's not being taught to other people, or it wasn't being taught at that point? It is, it is being taught, but uh, what happened was is that they were the last generation that spoke in the home. Um, for a gener few generations, they were put into boarding schools. This was the last one where their mothers and fathers were still speaking it in the home as conversations. They'd come home, and they'd speak Omaha. So, I mean, that sort of when the culture was sort of being destroyed with taking kids out of the home. That Definitely. was that was so widespread that it really came down to just, you know, 15 or so families were left that still spoke it and were still moving it from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like that's one of those things that, 
in the narrative that you're taught sort of about native populations, you're maybe taught a little bit about that happening, but you don't really get the sense that the damage is that severe mm -hmm. or that like a whole language would just go away. If the tribe still exists, I think people just assume like, well, surely it's, you know, it'll fix itself, you know, it's, it's sustaining on its own. So, I mean, that is something that I'm sure that's not even unique just to the Omaha tribe, right? There's probably no. plenty of languages where it's a similar story. North, um, North America, South America, uh, Canada, Australia, uh, it's, it really, I, I just, it really made me angry to see what the government did is, is taking what they thought that they were civilizing these people. It really, like, the impact it had, and, and when you see a lot of the problems on the reservation, it does stem from taking their, taking who they are away from them, and putting them in, like, a they call it, they almost call it like POW camps. I mean, that's how it was, that's how it was organized um, when they started the reservations. So if you can imagine having that taken away, uh, you know, taking their pride away and their culture and who they are, building that back is, you know, there's, that's still a road. They do, they still, you know, they're very aware of their culture on the Omaha reservation. But there's still that, I guess you'd call it historical trauma that, that has been, that part of their life has been taken away, which is why they're not trustful of outsiders. Yeah, I mean, and that makes complete sense. And so, I mean, like, to try to move past that trauma in general seems like such a huge hurdle to overcome, especially when people now, I mean, there's not really much going to try to, like, there's not aid to try to help the people who are, you know, generationally, generationally affected by this trauma, right? I mean, there's not really much energy being put other than whatever they do on their own. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what's the effort like in the tribe then to try to, you know, reclaim that pride and to try to move forward, really, and create a lasting culture? Well, fortunately, there was a light at the end of the tunnel because the Head Start program has a 94, one of the women in my film is a, and Omaha, Omaha VA is a 94-year-old great-great-grandmother who teaches a language five days a week. And she teaches it to Head Start and college students. And then there is a, a lady by the name of Vita Stable who has the Cultural uh, Education Center at the Omaha Nation uh, Public School. And that's K through 12. And then there's the Nebraska Indian Community College. So you have three components that are really doing a fabulous job on keeping this, this culture and the language alive. But they're also teaching non-fluent uh, speakers, so they do have a lot of work. And they're, uh, I know when I spoke with the head of education at the Cultural Education at NICC, their goal is to create fluent speakers. And I, I think they're, I really think if, you know, if the students are willing, that that could definitely happen. And, um, that's why this film is important because this film will last, you know, this is going to last generations. And that's what it's there for. Right. Well, I think it's great. We talked about it last week with the people from Big Money as well because uh, you had Brett Lubert who started out making documentaries and then found himself moved toward like a documentary might not be enough to actually do the change he wants to see. And so that brought him into, you know, actually just running an urban farm. And so I think it's interesting, certainly as someone who's made movies, to be in the position where. You want your movies to be important, you want them to do something, and especially if you can find a way to make a movie that has a real cultural impact beyond just entertainment value. Like, not that there's anything wrong with entertainment, but you'd like to also make an impact. 
And I, I think that this movie seems like one of the ones where it's maybe doing as much as it can just to get the word out to people and to actually hopefully inspire people to change things or to be aware that there is a problem with any of this, you know? Because I think, like I said, I mean, we, I think we get so little exposure to the problems of Native American people outside of the stereotypes that I, I wouldn't have known this was even an issue other than that I talked to you about it. And so I think the film obviously can reach a way bigger audience than even just who you can talk to. So that's very exciting. And so, okay, so you're making the movie at this point. Is, the, is, the, is there a spoken component to the language? Say again? Is there a, spoke, or a written component as well as a spoken yes, component? Yes, okay. there's a written component. And they're working with the language conservancy, but most of it is done through the tribe. And very difficult language. Very difficult. There is the woman who passed away, her name is Allison Sosi, and we had to honor her in the film. And we had to wait a year for the children to talk about her because that's how they do it. They don't talk about their mother until, or their relatives, a year after her passing. So I had to wait a year. And then I approached Andre Sosi, and he talked about his mother who worked, I, oh my gosh, like five years on the, the verbs of uh, the Omaha. Uh, they work with the linguist in Hawaii, and they finally they finally um, uh, published it last year. Do you speak English? Uh, Wibaha. Um, What's that mean? Uh, thank you. Uh, why am I, I? I just can't believe I'm trying. <laughs> I just turned fifty, so I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I don't mean, we can come back to it if something comes to you. But. I know I, it will come to me. I have a question in terms of even just, I think you had said it, but my one time, I think when I was in college, they had somebody from the Omaha tribe come talk to one of my classes, and I believe she said that Omaha is not the way that they even pronounce that word. Is that correct? Umaho. Umaho? Umaho. And that okay. film is pronounced Umaho, E-A, and Umaho is the um, original word for Omaha. And so we just messed that up when, you know, somebody said it one way, and then... From what I understand, so it's, there's only a few books on the Omaha, there's only two books, so you kind of have to go with what was handed down verbally. Uh, apparently, from what I understand, it was from the French trappers wanted to call it Omaha. They called them Omaha instead of Umaho because it's it's a nasal. It's a, they use the nasal part of the um, pronunciation. So uh, they just said it probably was easier. But it's really Umaho, and uh, the film's going to be at the Omaha Film Festival. And, I want to say, don't you mean Umo from festival? <laughs> I was going to ask, at a certain point, would you learn how it's supposed to be said? Yeah. It's hard to ever say Omaha. I think yeah. everybody used that line with Mark. Mark, uh, Mark Longbreak's awesome. He, he runs the one of the founders of Omaha Film Festival. Phenomenal film festival. Highly, highly recommend it. But I'll probably, don't tell them it's okay. a joke. I'll be, like, you, pronounce, you mispronounce the festival. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be a hit with the audience there. Yeah. Yeah, it's the right crowd for that, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, okay, so then, you know, you get to the point where you've been filming, and I mean, what insights beyond what we've already shared did you just have about either the Omaha culture or the language just from going through the process of filming this movie? Uh, what I really, I, I think, what really, really resonated, which I think, I hope it resonates with the film, is that these people have an incredible, incredible culture. Um, something that they should be so proud of who they are, and um, and their traditions and and how they uh, how they revere elders 
and just the um, like when you go to powwows. I, I've been to halushkas, and I won't I won't film any ceremonies, but it's their uh, traditions. Or not, I hate to say, I hate to. Say, it's not traditions. It's ritual. Their ritual. They don't call it religion. They call it their spirituality. Um, they're, this is before you know uh, Christianity, where they would talk to God. They don't go. They they don't talk to him. They they talk with him. They commune with him. They commune with the Creator. So that really stuck with me. Um, the like I said, the rituals on why things are done the way they are, the different seasons, and why they plant certain seeds for their certain clan. Um, it's really interesting, and I'm like, you know, a lot of people should live this way. A lot of people should live ritualistically. Um, I think it would be a better world. Um, so I have immense respect for the culture. I have immense respect for their language. Um, and I hope uh, it was, the film was first and foremost, first and foremost made for the Oma people, second was for the Native community, and thirdly, uh, the outside, I really want them to gain an understanding and, um, and hopefully open their eyes and say, I can't believe that we don't even know about it. And I said, that's okay, because I didn't either, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, think, I mean, like, we need ways to learn about it. You said there's only two books written about the tribe? It's Omaha Volume 1 and 2. Uh, the 500 Verbs came, like, two years after I started filming. Um, there is uh, a great dictionary um, that was made, but it's a private dictionary that I actually got access to. Uh, Mark Swetland just released a dictionary from University of Nebraska Press. But the day my film was done, it came out like three days later, which that would have been awesome to use. That I can't tell you how awesome that would have been to use when we were doing translating and, and writing um, for the film. And uh, let's see what else. There, there's some really good fil uh, books about betraying the Omaha. There's the uh, uh, there's a, a book about the sacred pole. Um, um, and then there's a few uh, few other books, but very very few books on the Omaha. Very few. I think that's just bizarre. I mean, to live in such a big city in Nebraska and to not have. I mean, not only do not have been taught some of this stuff, but does not even have access to much of this information because there's just not a whole lot of, I don't know, like, you think there'd probably be a market for it if it was out there, but there's just not a lot of information out there. Either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's just bizarre. I mean, I feel like every year there's just so many things where it just blows my mind how ignorant I am about something. And like, you know, thinking about the Omaha tribe, it's like, it's so stupid to me that I have no connection to that, that I've never really tried to learn about it. And, uh, you know, I feel like, this movie can help at least have other people feel how stupid they are about that and try no, to educate themselves. No, you know, I want you to be enlightened. I yeah, it's a better people way. To feel stupid. That's the right way to say it. I want to say I had no idea you're engaged. I mean, that's that's what it's there for. I want, right. That's, don't feel stupid. It's okay. I don't always feel <laughs> stupid. I'm always going to. Every year, you like, realize, here's all these other things I should have been focusing on and I didn't even know about it. This, you know, having a connection to any sort of native life or culture feels like an important thing for an American to do. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's something that I feel like I, I need to do a better job of it. And, you know, this movie helps me move closer to figuring out how to do that at least. Yeah, and that's that's what it's there for. It's there to gain understanding and say, is there something that we can help? Is there a way we can, you know, help with the, you know, maybe 
donate to their language, uh, uh, cultural uh, area of the, of the tribe. Um, it's gonna be at the Omaha Film Festival. And I, you know, I did a very special showing, which you're not supposed to do, but I asked the film festival if I, I said, the film is gonna be shown on sovereign land, which they don't consider Nebraska. You cannot show premiere film in, in Nebraska. Uh, it has to premiere at the Omaha Film Festival. Well, they were okay with it because it was a private showing and it was for the tribe. And pretty much 90% of the people in the film, their relatives were in that. So it was great. It went over very well. So I didn't know if there were a lot of people from the tribe that were going to come up to the film festival. And it turned out like, People that didn't make the showing at the tribe, they're all coming up. Like the whole tribal council is coming. The whole council. I'm like, it was took me six weeks to get a to get a uh, appointment with them. And so I said, really, you're all coming? That's so incredible. Thank you. And I'm getting some other people, like 30 people of the tribe, and I I was told that they're going to dress traditional. So it's going to be really really amazing. So they. So the Omaha will be able, people from Omaha will be able to interact with these, with the Omaha people coming up here. So that shows that they're very, they're, I think what it is is that they're really happy to be recognized and respected. So that's why they're coming, and this is a big event, it's a really big event. Yeah, and I mean that recognition seems long overdue for them. Long so. overdue, long overdue. So, okay, just to get back to the making of it, because I'm curious. So, I've, I've, you know, I've thought about documentaries before. I've never put one together, but I'm just curious. So, you assembled footage. You probably had hours and hours and hours of footage, right? Mm -hmm. And you said the final cut is 67 minutes? 67 minutes. Okay, so that seems like it must have a pretty fast pace then, right? To be. It does. I wanted, you know, my idea was let's do it more, because I love documentaries that you can sit and breathe and see, you know, check out the scenery and the way people live and you can you know put up you can have a scene for them about them for like 30 seconds to a minute my editor says you know you have 12 people this is all you know we have to get this in at a pace so it's 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 done very PDS stuff but I'm very happy very happy with it because I think if I wanted my way it would have lagged on forever maybe and maybe it wouldn't have been structured that well. That's why you need an Academy Award-winning editor to tell you, you need, what to do. You need the editor of Rocky. <laughs> yeah, you need the editor. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So I listened to him. Yeah, no. Did you dabble with edits, like a cut that you just put together by yourself before you got him? No, I wouldn't even. No, God, no. I feel like I, I wish I, I should have, but then I'm like, then he would have done it and I would have done it. Yeah, I mean, you would show him, like, here's my seven-hour cut that I put together. And, uh, but it's... Like, it's, well, <laughs> Martin Scorsese, so I, I'm a master class. Have you ever tried master class? It's awesome. Uh, uh, Martin Scorsese and Jody Foster have two great, great classes. Martin Scorsese, I, I totally got this when he said this. He's like, if you, when you see your first cut and you don't feel physically sick and hate it, then you're, you're, you're not doing it right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember the first cut. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. You know, I was like really, I don't know why, I was just like, it, I, it, it, like you had to absorb it all and, and it was like building a house that had the frame and you weren't ready, you had to delete a lot and, and add a lot and 
it was just, it was very interesting. So I understood what, now I understand what Martin Scorsese said about that. Right, I, I certainly felt that way. And I know I've seen so many filmmakers talk about that. Like even, I think the Coen brothers have said when they watch the dailies every movie, they're like, oh no, it's, it's a mess, it's not gonna work. And then slowly, you, slowly, you know, you regain confidence. But So you had to go on that journey of like finding how do I make this story work? Because it's like, I know that I have the right content, I just don't really know what to, how to present it the right way. Yeah. And so, how long was the editing process? Uh, well, it was, I thought it was going to be three months. It turned out to be about six months. That's pretty fast, though, still, isn't it? I mean, for. Yeah, okay. but my editor was amazing, and we actually became, now we're pretty good friends. And But we are on the phone. He's a workaholic, which is so great. When he says he's going to call you, he calls you. He doesn't like, you know, some. Art, artsy people will just like, oh, I, I was going to call you and call you an hour later. When he says he calls, he calls exactly the time he says he's going to call. We, by the end of the edit, by the end of the edit, we were talking every single day, maybe five times a day. And then on the weekends is when we really were like, because I, I have a job too, but on the weekends we were constantly talking, even on Sundays. So he worked that hard for, he really put his heart and soul in that film. He had to get it done so, before Creed II finished filming. Yeah, he's, he was working, and then and the funny thing is, he's like, well, now I, the weirdest thing is, is that the minute, the reason why I got it, Scott, is because uh, some Anthony Hopkins movie fell through, and he had time, so he had this window, and the minute we got the last cut, we're all done, he gets this deal for a three-picture kind of universal soldier type military, you know, one of those movies that make a lot of money and they're, you know, military movies, mm -hmm. three-part. Well, it was, it was like, it couldn't have, it's like the stars were aligned. One movie fell through, I got in right at the exact same time. We finished and this other movie came in that probably paid a lot better than I did. <laughs> It's like you said you had uh, some grants that were helping you pay for yeah. along the way. Yeah. Okay, so what was the process of getting that kind of funding? Because I think a lot of people don't even know how to look for a grant, for example, for if they're trying to do a project like this. Well, I think the key is asking around family and friends. And because there are a lot of grants online, there's a lot of you, there's a grant book at the library, um, I know in Chicago. Uh, a lot of it is word of mouth because the word of mouth ones that people don't know about, you're not competing with, you know, 10,000 people. I mean, there are art grants, like Nebraska Art Grants, you're probably competing with at least maybe 500 people. Um, the smaller, well, even the smaller grants, but the, the, maybe the smaller organizations that are for the arts. My dad heard of this, and uh, so I put it in, and I got it, and I'm like, oof, thank you. <laughs> And I said, I'm using every penny of this grant. Every you day. And, you know, sometimes, and this is, you know, that helps your integrity. Uh, grants, they give them the money, they never hear from them. They don't know what happened. And they hope the grant came through. But I sent all of the board members of my grant uh, a film. So they were very excited. So I guess that probably is a good lesson for everybody then. You should always not just disappear once you get your no. footage, get your money, you know, no, actually be gracious. Because that will build on other relationships. And then you get the reputation. You'll develop a reputation of being, you know, you, you held your word, you did a project. And also it makes them feel great. They're like, geez, look what we helped create. Because I said, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have paid for, I, I needed to pay for an editor. 
And this was all self-funded until they came along. Right. And so, okay, then you got music, right? When did you start yeah. selling music? Um, I, you know, I came across some really phenomenal musicians. Unfortunately, because of the cultural project, it just didn't fit. And so I ended up getting a, um, a drummer of the, the drum keeper of the Omaha tribe. Uh, he licensed some music for me, which was great. And then I ended up getting uh, Native American flute music. I contracted him out and we uh, had music from him. But there was also a missing component because really a composer, I could not afford a composer. So I went into stock music and then I found a, uh, a composer that I really liked. So I talked to him and I said, here's what I'm trying to do. Can you pick out like 20 songs? Um, this is the feel that I like of your song. Can you send me some, some cuts and or some samples? And so I probably picked out five or six of those songs and it worked out really well. Um, my editor is not used to that. He used to, you know, he worked with John Barry's, who, you know, who is a, he won an Academy Award. And so he wasn't used to this. So I said, well, I'm really sorry. But uh, I said, I didn't have a budget. I, I thought I had a budget, but I, I said, I have to do this right. I thought I had a budget for one composer, but I just, it needs to be uh, Native American, I need, to, I need to make it culturally sound so I feel more comfortable and I want the women to hear every single song and them to be, be comfortable, the elders who are in the film, I want them to feel comfortable with this music because music is everything to them too. I mean, that's a huge part of the culture. I mean, they are the, um, you're gonna see in the film that they are the, um, keep their, they actually started the powwow and they're known as the big drum people. So that is a part of their culture. So let's say you have music and you hear something that sounds Native American, if that isn't in their culture or their tribe, they'll say that's Cree music or that's, that's uh, Lakota. What is Lakota drumming doing in an Omaha film? I mean, that's what you'll get. And I learned that from going to film festivals and listening to Native Americans saying, I can't believe, I can't believe they put a Cree song and that was a Lakota film. And they, it was a phenomenal film that they just went, so I understand how important it is. So right. I had to be really, really thoughtful in that area. Right, I mean, culturally sound seems like that is the right word for the entire project and yeah. your philosophy throughout it all. And it shows, I'm sure, in terms of like, with the reaction you're getting from the tribe and from mm -hmm. everybody else who's seen it, it seems like. So, okay, before I open for you three, you're gonna have to ask questions, it's required now, I'm just kidding, it doesn't matter. Um, so before I open it up to audience questions, I'm curious, so what's the future for the film? Um, well, it, it, um, I was ecstatic, we were ecstatic that it got into the Omaha uh, Film Festival. It also got into the American Indian Film Festival in San Francisco and the uh, Red Nation International Film Festival and it won Best Documentary, which I was like shocked. Uh, that, that means that the Native community supports this film. Uh, and it just won a Western Heritage Award at the National um, Cowboy at Western Heritage Museum, uh, and that's going to be in April. And I'm talking about distribution, but it's finding the right distributor. I'm pretty sure it's probably going to go to VOD, video on demand. Um, I probably will, 
if I don't find the right distributor platform, I probably will just go with uh, Amazon because that's the easiest way and so many people can, can access that. Right, and so Omaha Film Festival and then potentially film streams in the future here? Yeah, film streams, I forgot. Gosh. All right, so uh, film streams, uh, not, we're talking about getting it in at film streams in August as a community, uh, community engagement event. And also I'm talking to UNL, which has a massive seating and I, I really want to accommodate people because unfortunately and unfortunately, the online sales are almost all sold out. I put a push on Facebook. Uh, I had 1.2, no, now it's like 1.3, uh, 1,300 people are interested in seeing the event. There's only 270 seats. So now, I'm, and people who say they're interested, usually it's more than that. So now I have to find a bigger venue, which I was really fortunate uh, that UNO, I'm talking to UNO about it. Okay, so there's hope for everybody. Yes, know, yes. Seeing theaters or seeing I some can't sort put of... it on demand just yet. Right. Not okay. just yet, so. Okay, let's open it up for questions. Looks like Ben has questions here. Okay, um, so as a filmmaker, you have a unique opportunity to tell somebody else's story. In this case, um, a group of people who maybe don't have that opportunity themselves. What kinds of things, in addition to just watching your film, what kinds of things can people do here in Omaha specifically to maybe learn more or just, like Tom was saying, kind of open our eyes to um, this culture? In Omaha? Mm -hmm. uh, what I would do first is I would attend the powwow. There's there's plenty of powwows that are going on. There's the UNO powwow that's coming up in April. There's the Metro powwow in um, September and I highly recommend people traveling up to Macy which is only 70, uh, 70 miles north and attending the Omaha um, powwow which you'll never really get the full culture until you're on their land and they're, they're uh, the oldest powwow ground in the country so I really really recommend that and support that. Um, further than that, they have hand games. I mean, if you're lucky enough to get invited to a halushka, which is their traditional dance, I would attend that. Um, I would say too, if you're if you're ever going on a reservation, um, always bring a long skirt for women and a, and a shirt that that covers your uh, uh, shoulders and part of your arms, just out of respect to be modest. Um, but that's where I would start. There's not a lot here, and there's some great events at UNO. There's one coming up um, at UNO, um, and I, it's, I'm drawing a blank, but there's a, they have Native series as well. Also, I really recommend the UNO Native American Film Festival, which is fantastic through Vision Maker Media. What time of year does that happen? That happens in the in the fall, and I hope they have it again this year. And the big one of the best distributors and filmmakers of Native cinema is located in Nebraska, Lincoln, called Vision Maker Media. All right, so let's get we got another question here. <coughs> Do you come up with your meantime work on it? Um, so obviously you have to go into this community and this project being pretty culturally aware, just like of what you're walking into, but was there anything that surprised you when you started making the film about their culture or about who you were interviewing and stuff like that? Because the, there are differences with the Omaha culture and the Lakota culture. Um, you know, there's things that I forget. Uh, with Lakota, you bring tobacco. Um, with Omaha, you always bring a gift. And, oh, this is the good one that 
You know, with our culture, you give them a gift after you do something like here, thank you so much. Well, one of them pointed out, they're like, well, that's a little rude that you give it after. You should be giving it before. I'm like, oh, sorry. Um, and I, I think uh, just knowing, like, for example, their their clanship, not really being aware of that. I, I, I read it in the book, but not really being aware of it until you get into the interviews when they talk about their clan. And you go into the school, like you'll go into Omaha Nation School, they'll have their clans, these beautiful mirrors, and that's what I used because there's no, there's no imagery on their clan, so I had to use the school, but you'll see their clans. So it's really cool how their kids, their clans are right there as they walk through the school, and then they're walking up the steps, and their names, like words of the Omaha language, is right, going right up the steps. So you know, for them to do that is such a, it's a great foundation for these kids to be reminded every day. And I'm you, trying to think of. How do you know what kind of gift or tobacco to bring? Uh, for tobacco, it's just that. That's for the Lakota culture. Uh, I just kind of think of. If I was a, oh, you know what's good, it's practical, like uh, for the men I always brought gloves and hats and they love that. And uh, blankets, I brought blankets. Um, for the women, um, I brought like real fun feminine things like perfume or body lotion and they love that. But you know, who doesn't, you know, what, like what girls don't like that? So it's different. It's, so I stayed away from the cultural gifts, I just brought, some really, like, one lady I bought a coat for, and it was so cute, and she she passed away um, not too long ago, and uh, she was so happy. It's like, you know, because she had a cute coat. She's like, I haven't had a cute, a pretty coat in, I don't know, 15 years. <laughs> yeah, I was just picturing myself, like, if I was going to buy tobacco as a gift, I'd be so clueless. I'd well, just just <laughs> like, tobacco uh, itself, like, people go and say, I just need back tobacco. Okay. That, that's for the Lakota. I right. haven't done yeah. that with the Omaha. Yeah, I could handle buying gloves, but tobacco, I'd probably look like an idiot trying to look like Yeah, like, uh, practicality is me. That's, yeah. like, the best gifts for men. I always... That's good enough. That's the rest. That's practical. Okay. All right. We have another question here. Okay. So this is already a little bit covered in the last question, but I just wanted to know any similarities or differences you found between uh, the Omaha culture and any other native cultures you've experienced uh, the language and things like that. Um, well, with Lakota, Lakota has some dances and uh, their sweat ceremonies are very prevalent there, and there are also the Yolipis. Um, with the Omaha, it's the Halushka, and it's the it's their congregating around. Oh, this is really cool! I can't believe I forgot this. Um, so there's a clan chart. There's a clan chart you'll see in the movie. Well, at the powwows, the families' tents where they camp is always how their clan chart is. So you'll see the sky people go more up on the north side and the uh, earth people who are part of the earthen clan will go on, the tents will be on the south side. That was really fascinating to me. And you know, I've been going to this, I think it's gonna be my fourth year. You'll know exactly like, you, you, you learn where their clans are and you're like, oh, okay, I know these people will be on this side and you know, because they're part of this clan that they'll be on this side. 
So that, that was interesting. If, uh, do you have a question here? I do have a question. All right, go for it. Hi. I don't know if we've met. I'm Amy's son. Hi, so, I heard about you. Amy, bartender. Um, I was just mainly curious about the filmmaking process. Mm -hmm. You spent a lot of time talking about editing. I'd like to know what your process is like before the editing stage when you're just gathering material. Like what, what guidelines do you have going into that process? Well, first was you, you try to read as much as you can on the, on the subject. Mm -hmm. um, but it started with the three women. Uh, it was John Papan, but the three women that are in my poster online. Uh, that's where it started. So those three, uh, those were the first three interviews. Then you have to immerse yourself in the community and develop that relationship so the others will open up to you. And in the meantime, as, you're go as you keep going to events, as you keep going to, um, you know, parties and funerals and hand games, there's another one, there's hand games. The Lakotas don't have hand games. That's a big Omaha thing. I forgot to mention that. It's that constant uh, developing that relationship. And once they, they open up little by little, and um, that for, for that particular project, that, that's what you had to do. So you develop a relationship, and along the way, occur footage. And yes. then once you really have a good relationship at that point, then you can start editing and turn what you just experienced into a story. Yes. Uh, actually, I was waiting to get the very last interview. It was, in, it was one of the gentlemen. So that took 18 months, and I was, I was like, I can't, I don't have a film until, I, until at least I get some commentary from him. And in the meantime, you're doing B-roll, you're learning about the planship, you're learning about their culture, uh, and then a lot of it is incredible patience and being very, uh, you have to be very, um, you, you can't be pushy with them. You, you have to let them open up on their own terms. And I, I was very, you know, I did have people that wanted to, to be in the project, and there's some people that were very talented, but I just, and it's not that they weren't polite, it's just that I said, you know, culturally, I just, I, I, I'm afraid to bring someone in that could shut them down, and not knowingly that they may have, they may have, uh, instigated something that they would have shut down. They may have asked too much or tried to pull out too much too soon. And that's what I was concerned with, so I filmed it myself. All sweet. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Any other questions from the audience? We got you got one last person over there. I'm gonna pick on one last time. This is your this is your chance. No? Okay, no. that's fine. Well so thank you Bridget so much. I'm sure everybody to be completely aware of wherever the film is going now. They should follow it on social media, right? Omaha Speaking on uh, Facebook and the OmahaSpeaking.com. Um, I want to go on Instagram, but everyone seems to follow Facebook because I'm always posting articles about language and, and preservation of language. So that seems to be a big following on Facebook. Okay. Well, definitely check that out. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. This is great. Thank you. Riverside Chats is produced by me, Tom Noblock, and Ben Matugowitz. I host the show. The show is a production between Exarban Creative and B-Side of the Benson Theater. Please look into the renovation of the Benson Theater. It is a great local Omaha project. It is absolutely something that you should be supporting if you want local artists 
local people involved in business, local people involved in politics, whatever they're doing, they need to have a venue to get it out there. And B-Side, as well as the renovation of the Benson Theater, is one of the best places you can look to in order to support that. So if you support Omaha Community, please look into it. Please look into the Benson Theater. Consider donating to the renovation. It's fantastic. We've got a lot of great shows coming up this month as well. Join us next week. For the next live show at B-Side of the Benson Theater, where I will be talking with Rachel Jacobson of Film Streams. That's a dream guest for me. I, she's just like, you know, one of the, the most amazing people in Omaha for turning something that seems completely impossible into her life and being very successful at it. And I cannot wait to talk to her about it. Please, you can go find us on Facebook. Follow us for all upcoming guests. Please show up to the live events. It really helps keep the show going. Helps us be able to pay for this whole thing. So, Please go to that. Rachel Jacobson next week. Stay tuned for all future guests. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it.